This is the Straight Dope Podcast coming at you from another recovery walk. I wanted to jump in and do an episode that has been coming up more and more, and I'm going to kind of circle around the topic while I explain. People ask, I heard you wanted to get into air guns, and you know, I've been talking with Utah Air Guns. I've got a um, Panthera on the way. I'm going to be using it in assessments and measurements and so on and so forth, and they think that I'm getting it as a trainer, and I want to make explicitly clear that my personal intentions are not. I don't. I don't like trainers. I just like rifles. So um, I'm not getting it as a trainer, and so I'm not going to be looking at it or thinking about it. Usually, with that in mind, training for something else. Rather, it is. A standalone thing with its own standalone competitions, standalone measurements. And it helps me understand what the influences that the individual has on the system that they're working with. And I think that those influences carry across all systems. And so if you see it in one, you can see it depending on what the factor is that you're looking at better in some than others. And in, and in that sense, you can use them as trainers, but I think you got to be really careful when you're describing what it is that you're actually training and what it is that you're looking for uh, when it comes to those deviations. Because if it's just saying, well, I'm trying to save money, well, that, that's a great factor. I think that's a great thing to consider, particularly because it's an expensive hobby that everybody's involved with. Um, but you're not necessarily training the same things based on um, the system that you're actually training with versus going to apply it to. So sometimes you hear, uh, I'm going to leave the budget stuff. I'm going to leave the budget stuff out of it. But sometimes folks say, well, you know, if, if let's say you compete with a Dasher and you train with a 6.5 Creedmoor or you train with a 308. I think what that's doing is training recoil management. It's training... Um, your ability to see your impacts and spot your impacts. If that's something that you need to train, if that's something that does carry over and if it doesn't train bad habits, I think that you can oftentimes with some trainers develop scars that don't necessarily translate right over, in which case you'll need an adjustment phase to be able to get back to the system that you're going to compete with. So I think that, that when it comes to trainers and when it comes to data and trying to scale up your particular skills, you need to be thoughtful with respect of what, what are you gaining and what are you losing? Because I think that every exchange, you're going to be gaining and losing something if you're not just training with the one system that you're going to be competing or hunting or working with. I think there's some huge advantages to the idea of simply using the system that you're going to be using it which point, you know, the, the disposable factors are ammo and barrels. You're going to have to have a way to, to swap out the barrels and understand that there are some minor variations between barrels that you'll have to account for and accommodate for. That's probably the simplest method to stay sharp and stay tuned in. But if you're going to try to raise skills that you think might be better exploited by another system, uh, that could be an advantage to a trainer. On the other hand, almost all answers towards trainers involve a pretty significant financial expense. And 
paying those off isn't always something that people are going to be doing realistically. So it could be very expensive to do that. On the other hand, it's cool. It's neat. You learn something different. So what are some of the things that I would have somebody test maybe before they decided to get a trainer? Um, you know, I, I have no idea. So I'm just going to make something up because I'm walking and, um, it's a nice day, but, uh, I have, I listen to, you know, my friends' podcasts and I hear topics and read, read stuff that people are asking about on social media. Um, you know, I try to just forge my own path, but recently there's been a wave or a trend of seeing your impacts or spotting your impacts. And, and, and I think that's interesting. I think that's good, obviously, because you want to be able to see and spot your impacts. And, uh, some people are getting really, really good at that skill set. Um, there's a, there's a couple of things that I think are just that jump out right when somebody says, well, I want to be able to spot my impacts. Um, you know, you're shooting something that makes a really loud noise. And so a lot of people have the reflex of blinking. And, and if you blink and move your head and open your eyes and have to refocus on something, you do this without a rifle at all. Just, just close your eyes, move your head, open your eyes, and try to focus back in on that object. There's going to be a lag time. And so, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're shooting these things that are really noisy and seeing your impact with a blink and a refocus and a recalibration, obviously the noise alone could affect your ability to spot your impacts. And so one test would be simply shoot, shoot a suppressed rifle of the same caliber and see if that helps you spot your impacts. Because if it's a flinch response, you're going to train that out of your body differently than some of the other techniques, right? So I would ask myself that before I bought another rifle uh, or built another rifle simply to train my ability to spot my impacts because if it's neurological, like in the eyes and your ability to focus, you could probably do a lot of that without even a rifle system or put in for a tax stamp, wait and get a suppressed rifle. And I, I know some of you are gonna say, well, that changes the recoil impulse. All right, so let's entertain that idea. When I shoot a 308 or I shoot my 6.5 Creedmoor, I, I, I typically don't lose my ability to see the target that I'm shooting at ever, right? I usually stay on or darn close to the plate. We're taking videos of different calibers. So when it comes to that kind of recoil management, I feel like I've got pretty good recoil management. Now, it doesn't mean that I see all the same things with those calibers, but because I can shoot those calibers pretty well, you'd think, oh, well, you can see your impacts with a six millimeter, you know, amazing. And to be totally honest, because I don't compete in the style that really warrants training that super hard. It's just not something I've trained. And I don't see it the way that I read about people saying that they see those impacts or seeing trace. Um, and so I don't think that for my personal growth, if I spent more time shooting a 308 only to be able to spot my impacts, um, I don't think that that would cause a big bump in my performance personally. Now, for some people, that might be the case because their recoil management might be such that when they shoot it, they totally lose the sight picture. They have to look over their scope to reorient their rifle, search for their target, at which point they didn't see anything. And you're starting from ground zero again with something like that. 
Um, is it worth a whole new rifle system? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think that when it comes to recoil management and maintaining your sight picture, there, there's more to the story, right? So then there's the other group of people that say, well, let's shoot rimfire because there's no recoil and we can train our eyes to see trace and see impacts. And then once your, once your mind can see it, it'll know what to do and it'll start to carry it up as you go up in caliber. Um, you know, that, that's another interesting idea that all of these could totally work. Uh, none of them are wrong, but all of them are going to help with particular differences in how we're spotting impacts. And so let's entertain that idea. If the ability, you know, if you're losing your sight picture because there's a vibration in your optic that distracts your eyeball, um, yeah, seeing what Trace looks like consistently while you're shooting is pretty cool. The 22, when I've got down behind the 22 or an air rifle, you're not even seeing trace. You could watch the bullet. Like, you know, my eye will track the bullet. And when I first saw it, I was distracted by the bullet thinking, what the hell is that thing? And you're like, oh my God, that's the actual, that's the bullet flying at the target. And it kind of happened passively. I wasn't trying to do it. Um, and I noticed, wow, that's pretty amazing. You can watch it go in, watch it go in. And then watching it go in, watching it hit the plate is, is interesting. But I think that it's different when you can watch the actual bullet or watch the pellet uh, versus seeing trace, tracking trace in, particularly in wind, where, um, you know, I have a hard time watching trace go into a plate because out here, when I see it, you know, there's usually a pretty decent amount of wind and where it hits on the plate doesn't usually line up with the trace that I'm seeing in terms of how it tracked into the plate. But again, I haven't trained that, but I, I see it. I don't know how to read it. So then, you know, another flip side would be to, to, to do something like, well, you know, on these days we're going to go out as pairs, like uh, Morgan King talked about, like him and Paul Higley will go out, shooter will shoot, the spotter will spot right behind him. Spotter can see more because they're looking through a spotting scope fixed. And then they can see exactly where the bullet hit on the plate. You got to trust that they know how to actually do that. And shooters calls where they hit on the plate to the spotter. They corroborate, you know, what did you see? What did I see? Okay. And they teach themselves to read the plates, read the splash, read the environmentals. To me, you know, I think that's time well invested regardless because, A, you're interacting and communicating, but you're getting another set of eyes because you have a hard time being objective with yourself, right? <laughs> and so if you say, okay, well, I, I saw that hit the right side of the plate, um, you know, that, that may or may not actually be reality. And in that instant where you're blinking or something is happening and then you could study it. So I, th I think that there's um, upsides uh, to that technique also you could put a gopro down range and film the plate and then you could and you could you could somehow talk out loud to a video so that you remember which shot was which what did you see and review the footage afterwards all of those are techniques that i think are really important and they're centered towards this concept of um answering the question i want to improve seeing my impacts when i hit a plate you know, what should I do? 
it, it could be a trainer. It could be a lighter caliber. It could be a heavier caliber. And I think the answer requires a little bit more questioning and a little bit more introspection in terms of what is the actual skill that you're trying to capitalize on. Because I don't think that for a lot of people, it's felt recoil. And I don't think for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's much of that at all. Um, because, um, when I've seen people shoot things like rimfire, they, they don't, they don't spot their impacts anyway. And they say, okay, well, I need to work on something or other. And, um, you change the variables to make it easier if that was their explanation and they still can't do it. And so then, you know, what's interesting to me is then, okay, well, what's the real issue and how do we tackle it and prove that this is going to actually help increase that skill versus I just listened to somebody else. This is what they did. I'm going to do that and it's going to work for me. And I don't think that that's the case for almost anything that we do above a particular level. And unfortunately to most of you who listen to this podcast, most of you who compete in any competitive shooting sport, you're already better than the average. You're, you're probably all, you know, in the top 15% of shooters period and your skill sets are at a high enough level where you need to address your particular strengths and weaknesses because you, you really aren't the average shooter that's going to be that, that, that any change is going to raise their skill set. What I mean by that is if I just take an average person that doesn't exercise or do much and I say, I'm going to get you fit the secret is that average person that doesn't really exercise or train, you pretty much have to do anything and they're going to get fitter. And holy shit, this program really worked for me. And that's what sells a lot of stuff, right? Because they're not fit. They don't train. You could literally have them do almost fucking anything and they're going to get more fit. They're going to feel better. Metabolism's going to go up. Their hormones are going to, I mean, all, all sorts of great things are going to happen they're going to swear it was that thing that did it. And really they could have done anything, right? Think about your own shooting. Like you were shooting, you thought about, you know, man, I want to get involved in competition. You started to compete and you went from not doing very well to doing much better than your first competition or two. That's kind of that effect of, wow, you're shooting more, you're thinking about it more and you're doing anything. And now you got up to that level where now you're part of the people that do that. And you forget now you're a part of the group of people who are just better and it takes specific training to you in order to improve your particular set of skills. Right. I don't, I'm not a huge, um, you know, football or basketball or baseball kind of person, but think about a training plan designed for one position versus the other. They're going to be different. And, and I think of that as the same thing for you guys, shooters. So, Rather than thinking, I want to get a trainer, you need to go back a couple steps, deviate left and right a little bit and ask yourself, what is the trainer actually going to do for me? If the trainer is, well, I'm going to build a 223 to save money, how long is it going to take you to uh, you know, have the money savings equal the thousands of dollars that you're going to put into the trainer? Right. That's, that's probably the first thing I would say is, okay, cool. Like, yeah, it is definitely cheaper to shoot a two two, three than it is a six, five Creedmoor or 
uh, six millimeter anything since you're reloading and buying all the components. Um, but that difference isn't huge. And um, you're also going to have to have barrels and you're also going to have to have all the components and the dyes and the powder and the bullets and the brass. And, 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 and at what point is that benefit actually paid off financially? Um, same thing with rimfire. You know, if, if, if you buy a voodoo and a, another optic or a chassis that's going to clone your other one, you know, let's say you spend three or $4,000 uh, to build that trainer. Uh, how many rounds are you going to have to shoot? to augment that cost, pay it off, and then see the gains in your center fire when you go from your rim fire to your center fire, the things that you neglected, you weren't training, and now you got to train that back up. So then you're going to need a trainer with more recoil. And so now you got a third trainer. And and I think it's a slippery slope if the idea is just simply saving money. If it's for a particular skill set, ask yourself whether that particular skill set is seeing and doing what you think it's going to do and then go test it and see if, okay, well, if, if that's true, if it's just recoil, that's going to allow me to see more impacts. Hire somebody's rifle and see if you could see more impacts with their rifle before you build one. If it's the flinch response, try something with a suppressor. And you might be surprised that shooting with a suppressor isn't what the internet says it is in terms of, you know, huge recoil or, um, you know, a suppressor versus a break. You know, it, there's definitely differences. I have both. I shoot both. I see both. And there's a time and a place for both. I have concerns about both. Um, but if you asked me about recoil management and spotting my impacts from shot to shot between a break and a suppressor, I don't struggle between those two at the level that I, that I particularly see and do and perform those things myself. And so you know, I kind of think of myself as an average shooter. I think that that I would wager that a lot of these differences don't translate to the results that you want. You know, you might, if you, I mean, obviously, like, uh, you know, I don't get anything from the TMB guys. Um, you know, and I know that that uh, Morgan's got the TMB deal. If you, you put that fucking break on any rifle and you're going to notice a recoil difference. Is that going to let you see your impacts more? I don't know. Because I think that you're seeing impacts isn't the result necessarily of that particular blast. And we need to figure out what is it that allows you to see those impacts. But if you want to feel less recoil, put that thing on, you're going to feel less recoil, right? Because it, it, it works as a break like crazy. Are you going to go from mid-pack to trophies? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, my guess is, you know, if they've sold thousands of them, we'd see thousands more winners. Um, so that's not what's holding you back. It's cool. It lowers recoil. It's fun to have nice stuff that works and does what it does. But if your question is simply, I want to move up the rankings, a lot of times the questions and the solutions aren't as transparent at face value. So then we need to start peeling back those layers. So to make a short story long, uh, and even longer, you know, the reason that I want to get into air rifles is I think air rifles are cool. I like the idea of air rifles, period. I like the idea that they have a community and a competition circuit that stand alone. And I love the idea that if we're going to isolate recoil from a system, 
they're less recoil than a rimfire. You can augment the noise to take the noise away without having to deal with tax stamps. And they're capable in a, a, you know, within 300 yards, they're highly capable and functional. So when it comes to fundamental skills of a shooter being measured, which is what I love to do, my obsession personally is what is the shooter's influence on the system and what is the shooter's influence on the outcome of the results based on things that I think are more fixed, like external ballistics, um, you know, rifle system accuracy. And I think that isolating those components will help me get a better feel for, you know, what are the things that the shooter's doing to the rifle and can we isolate those away from those other, other factors like noise, like recoil, like, uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is and measure those. And I do that at a close distance because I'm trying to isolate out those environmental characteristics. And, and so um, to me, it's the perfect system for measuring the things that I want to measure and then putting those shooters into scenarios with other systems and saying, all right, we know where your base fundamental recoil management, say, you know, shot process, all that is now let's add in noise. Now let's add in recoil. Now let's add in wind reading. Now let's add in corrections. Now, and, and, and we could start to say, all right, you know, here's where I think your weakness is. Let's develop a training plan and a way to look at it to capitalize on what we're seeing based on the numbers, not, oh, you know what I need to do is get faster on this particular stage because, you know, I, I'm doing it at 60 seconds and I really need to do it at 45 seconds. Well, you know, I might look at your numbers and your results at matches and say, you know, I, that, you know, every couple matches that might get you a point. Or not even a point. It might just bump you up in a tiebreaker. But if you want to go up in points, you know, we need to work this particular skill set. And here's, you might need to change this equipment because of this. But is that worth it? Well, people are spending a lot of money. You know, if you look at the top 100 PRS shooters, top, maybe not top 100, top 50, top 30, you know, a lot of those guys are spending 20, 30, 50, 60 plus thousand dollars a year traveling ammo barrels rifle you know all the stuff that they need to do that is it worth it to go from 50th place to 15th place to to swap out a piece of equipment you know they're already spending that so i think the answer for those guys is yeah if and, and and not knowing what the variable was that could be holding them back. It takes some experimentation, some exploration. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to be able to solve. Same thing with a hunter. You know, I want to go to this hunt, I want to do this. You know, we know characteristics of the animal. We know characteristics of the environment. How do we optimize the ability to take that single shot, well-placed in all of, all of those conditions? Well, we need to know how each of those variables influences the outcome. And you can do that for yourself. Uh, and, and I think that that this uh, kind of giant monologue here is centered around the idea of you need to know what you're trying to solve and then don't pick one solution, rather pick a bunch that could play a role in influencing the outcome and explore all of those. And the one that's holding you back the most is probably the one that you have the most to gain from, right? Kind of common sense to me, probably makes sense to you. 
I think that that kind of exploration is better than, hey, man, you know, I'm struggling with this. What'd you do to get better at it? They tell you what they did. You do it. And you're like, man, I didn't get better. Well, that's also not a surprise. Um, and I think that the answer kind of circled around here for however long this has been. So I'm going to sign off. But I thought it was worth mentioning that, um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has different interests. Everybody has different outlets, but most of us want to get better at the things that we're working on or interested in, uh, in one way or another. And that involves some curious mapping of the dimensions that, that, um, that surround your, your, your desired result. I think that all answers are and, and some are more complicated than others. Some take more time and some take more training. Some are more expensive, some are cheaper. But I do think that we can get to the heart of why are people missing whatever their shot is and find ways to give them you know, the shortest line between where they are and what their goal is. And uh, you know, it's not always that face value answer. So thank you for listening.